Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. Well, welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. We are uh, humbled and uh, really wanting to make sure we bring uh, great value to anybody who's tuning in right now. Um, And we're really fortunate to have a a special guest on the show that's actually bringing us some some great surprising value, especially today. For those of you who aren't aware, there was a a major um, tragedy at the Boston Marathon uh, yesterday. Uh, Some explosions happened and some people were killed, and it was pretty horrifying. And one of the things we do here at Wealth Psychology is we talk about how to manage and handle life when, uh, you know, difficult things happen, when unexpected things happen, even when great things happen. And there's ways in which we can approach life that really allow us to manage the emotional impact of what's happening in our lives so that we can still be the best, the brightest, the most effective we can be in the world no matter what's going on. And in situations like this when there's very little that we can actually physically do to change, uh, you know, a worldwide issue that's happening in terms of, you know, more and more violence, there's a lot we can do in our own hearts and in our families' lives and in our immediate area to uh, have an impact. And I think that one of the things that we're really committed to here at the Wealth Psychology Program is uh, doing whatever we can to bring more peace and uh, possibility into people's lives, no matter what's going on, no matter the boons, the the beautiful things, or the, the horrible and the tragic things. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we want to give you immediate support. And it's quite remarkable when I was Speaking with our guest today, who is uh, Willow, is it Willow D or Willow Day? I want to make sure I have that right. Yeah. Hi, Willow Day. Welcome. And Willow and I met in Austin um, a couple, about a month and a half ago at a, a lecture, and I was really impressed with uh, your presence and your background. And I, there's actually more and more I'm getting to know about you that I'm really grateful for. And just to give our listeners a little and our viewers some background. Um, Willow is uh, passionate about unleashing the creative potential in organizations and allowing for sustained peak performance. And she holds a bachelor's and master's degree in occupational therapy, the science of human human performance, which is such an interesting background. I'm looking forward to hearing how that blends with what we're going to be talking about. And after 16 years in private practice, she turned to facilitating seminars for educators and is the editor of Igniting Brilliance, the integral education in the 21st century. Is that a journal or is it a, I just want to make sure I know what that is. It's an anthology. It's a published anthology of an emerging field. It's a sort of a snapshot of integral education as it's arising globally. Great. And I hope that we get a chance to talk a little bit about integral approaches to life, especially in the in the uh, you know, what we're dealing with today um, in terms of, wow, people are definitely at different levels of their own way of thinking about the world and how they approach the world, and understanding that uh, model can be so helpful. And, Will, I hear that not only you, when we spoke about this, you were the, direct, the director of integral education at Meta Integral, a group that provides consulting, coaching, and training. And uh, wondering about what you're doing now or what this new news. So I want to make sure we bring that forward. Um, what, tell us a little bit about what you're now uh, been hired to do. Well, I'm, I'm holding both, I'm wearing both hats. And, and what that looks like is that I'm part of an organization called Meta Integral. Within Meta Integral, there are three branches. There's an academy of consultancy and a foundation. Within the foundation, there are eight centers. And I'm sort of in charge of the eight centers. I'm sorry, I'm in charge of the Integral Education Center, which is one of eight. Um, concurrently, I'm engaged in um, transformational organizational change, so it's conscious change leadership. Mm-hmm. And last week, um, during a, a five-month intensive training, I was called into a meeting and invited to become a part of um, a consulting group, really to carry out their legacy. So these are two people, a company called Being First, 
essentially utilized the, all of the human performance components um, while engaging in conscious change leadership in organizations. What that means is they've taken organizational development or OD or change, change management and married it to transformational technology and, and human performance. So what that looks like is a beautiful holistic approach to both vertical development for leadership and the acquisition of skills by which people can engage in methodology to totally transform their companies. So I've been invited to play with them and work with them. I say play with them, it's, it's going to be a lot of awesome hard work. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's really exciting. And of course, the thing that's most relevant to the people that are tuning into our show today is the word legacy. And, you know, my name is Emily Bouchard. I'm a managing partner of the Wealth Legacy Group. And my co-host, who is on hiatus right now, she's um, going through uh, treatment for breast cancer, is Jamie Traeger-Muni. And she's very, very happy to announce through me that she's just done her last chemo treatment this week. And we're really excited. And the next big hurdle is radiation that starts soon. And she um, she's definitely tuning in and is going to be weighing in on this topic for sure. Uh, and you spoke about legacy, and these these are people that have been doing this work for a long time, and they've looked and they've kind of handpicked you to come and join them and look at how they can um, have their work live on past them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, myself and two other guys. The other two guys have um, 20 years experience. I'm a newbie. Um, they're investing in my career in this way and it's a huge honor. They've been doing this work for 35 years and it's it's just and you know what's really the, the most beautiful part about this is understanding the, the level of commitment and devotion they've had to articulating this this way of working and how effective it's been. Like their current client is NATO wow. and they're taking it their decision to allow us to iterate it and evolve it with them is as much a letting go as it is an empowerment to us to do it. It's just an incredible honor. Yeah, you know, that is so beautiful. And, you know, I love that we can talk about this on so many layers, right, because a lot of people that are tuning in um, have businesses of their own or are in families where there's family-held businesses. And a legacy is a big part of the conversation. And one of the biggest sticking points that gets in the way is when the um, – a person who's created something that matters so much to them um, has the, the goal of letting it go or having it become an expand even bigger than they are um, with the idea of, wow, what's this going to look like when I'm not here, while yeah. also holding on tightly because there's such a strong identity to what they've created. So this is a, a powerful thing to just launch into this conversation with a little bit. Yeah. It, yeah. Thank you for noting that. It is. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I was really uh, touched and would love to enter into right now with you before we enter into this bigger conversation that launched us. So we're having a conversation with Willow today about her experience of marrying somebody who had some conflicted feelings about his wealth and his life and what that was like and what you witnessed, especially from your perspective. Like you have this incredible background of knowledge and wealth of of approach to life that can be so useful in a situation like that. Um, and before we go into that, the meat of that topic, you uh, shared with me before we got started about your background in helping people and supporting people around stress. And since we're in a, a space in the world right now where people who are tuning in, wow, if they may be feeling some stress, stress that they may be aware of, stress that they may be, uh, you know, t pushing down because they've got to deal with life. Um, and when we have a tragedy in the world that involves bombings, you know, whether it's in the United States or in other countries or the uncertainty, it can create a lot of stress for people. So would you be willing to just share a little bit about your background in stress management and what you have to offer there? would like to give people some direct support. Yeah, I've had um, the great pleasure of offering mindfulness-based stress reduction classes since 1989. Um, and it was sort of a serendipitous event that I won't belabor, but um, I studied with John Kabat-Zinn at UMass. We articulated a model for researching um, the continuum between altruism and egotism um, and created a narrative uh, barometer, like a measurement, a qualitative measurement for, for understanding where people were articulating their level of consciousness. We worked at Harvard together to do that, and it was really fun. 
Um, I didn't go to Harvard. I worked at wait, Harvard. I just have to say, <laughs> wait, just a second. <laughs> you said so many words that a lot of people that haven't been associated with Harvard or research would they they just gone like, wait, what? Is, they might have understood two two percent of what you said, and then you use the word, oh, we had a lot of fun. So I I just want to offer for a second that um, you you know you you uh, move in a field that you're so. Uh, just completely immersed in. And what I want to do is show you a little bit in this moment about how we move with people that we work with, especially inheritors, people that are new to wealth, people that um, are impacted by money in their lives in different ways. And when they meet an incredible professional like yourself that obviously knows their data and information and their background extraordinarily well, sometimes there can be a need to bridge the language. and. Uh, I know you can do it, and it's not. There's nothing wrong. It's more like, oh, I just love slowing things down and making sure that people really understand what's just been said, so that they can engage even more and really see, wow, she doesn't just understand this material; she understands me, right? That's really yeah. important. So you said, um, I heard mindful-based uh, consciousness. I heard this thing about altruism and egotism. Uh, so I almost want to get. Get, get a list of all the vocabulary that you used, and if you could, like, I'll just break it down for you. Could you break it down so that you know? Let's say that my um, your question uh, to me originally was how did I yeah. enter? How I entered? Yeah, that, and um, so if you could maybe speak about it in ways where you know my 13 year old um, granddaughter is sitting right here with me. Let's say she's listening. How would she understand what you just said? Yeah. So I studied mindfulness based stress reduction, and then I was allowed to teach it for 12 years. It's an eight-week week program. Um, we have 30 years of research that supports the efficacy of the program. Um, and the power of, of this program is that it's extremely simple. And the invitation in its application today for your audience yes, is um, when you're distressed, when you're encountering something terrible, <laughs> whether it's relative to your life or actually a tragedy in, a, you know, a metropolitan um, part of the country. Um, and I also want to say, not just if, you're, if it's something terrible, because a lot of people that listen to this and tune in, they've had something remarkable happen. Sure, it's still yeah. yeah, and it's still, it's, there's a, the same physiological experience can happen in the body when there's a lot of uncertainty and new and change. Yeah, absolutely. Positive yeah. still the nervous system still encounters it as a change. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt. Please tell us more about what the people can do. Yeah. Um, the most important thing is to allow yourself to slow down and even stop and take in the sensation of what's going on and simply accept what's what's real about the sensation without suppressing it, without pushing it away, but observe it as neutrally as you can through just your bare awareness. So if you were to quiet down right now and just close your eyes and bring your attention into your body, you might notice very mundane sensations, the pressure of your body on your seat, the bend in your knees, the feeling of your feet on the floor, I mean, very mundane. You're not looking for anything special. Just observing sensation and allowing it to be as it is and allowing yourself to relax into that experience. That alone will take, will handle a lot of the sort of blind reactivity that we tend to spin out into in our minds. So the fact is that we're all in contact with sensation. The interpretations are where we get in trouble. Um, does that make sense so far? Yeah, and what I would say, uh, just to simplify it even just a little bit more, because I, I like how you said, Paul, the beauty of it is how simple it is, and I really want people mm -hmm. to get that, that what, one of the things that I'm getting from you is there's a lot of grounded research behind this. There's a lot that's gone into this that shows how it can be so effective, and yeah. uh, it's a useful tool. Effective. Say it Sorry. again. No. How effective is in a simple um, interface with your own body, Yeah. your own breath. Becoming aware of the flow of your breath, becoming aware of sensation, <clears throat> observing a sensation and accepting it, even if it's distinctly uncomfortable, mm -hmm. perching with your attention right at the, the juncture of where it's really uncomfortable and seeing that it's utterly impermanent is a profoundly healing distinction. 
Yeah, and I think the thing that's so powerful about it is that uh, it brings people to the present moment. So when you talked about these interpretations, the, the pain, the suffering, the anxiety that we often experience comes from mental constructs, ideas, thoughts, uh, pictures, images that either throw us into a past that's not here or a future that doesn't exist. Yeah. And those are those interpretations. And our interpretations are never true. They're just uh, one way of looking at something. Just like, you know, if you have an accident that you've seen in front of you and you have 11 eyewitnesses, they're each going to give you a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that's been clearly, everyone knows that. And so just what I'm hearing is when we, when we work with clients and using the body as well, we, have a, we talk about the somatics of the experience. Uh, bringing the awareness to the body and the breath is becoming present mm-hmm. and recognizing in that moment that you are safe, you are okay, um, and whatever tension you're feeling, whatever pain you're feeling, even that can shift and change in that moment. And it allows you to open up to, oh, change can happen pretty easily that, that I can cause myself in myself that can make it so I can feel less pain. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that um, when you, it was so great when I asked you this and you said this because I, I, we're all about giving people immediate support and useful tools. And um, we're going to be posting after this conversation. And um, you, do you have a tool that people can access where they can, you know, if they're like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. I don't even know where to begin. Do you have something? Yeah, I happen to have a meditation CD, and we were just talking about what a funny coincidence it is. Um, in the course of teaching all these courses, people wanted to be able to take home the recordings of guided meditations. And so I have a lying down meditation, a sitting up meditation, walking meditation, and yoga. And it's all in one. It's two CDs. It's a set. They're 25 bucks. I'm happy to post a link to them and or wow. send, send some way of setting that up with you. That would be great. Yeah, we'll get a link and we can put it up on our blog and we can put it up on the YouTube page. And if you're tuning in and you're listening on the radio and um, on online, you can definitely go to the YouTube page and search Sylvia Global and you can join in this conversation and you can uh, post your questions there. Um, and again, we're talking with Willow um, Dea and she wears a number of different hats in the world. And the main thing that I hear that you do, Willow, is that you really support people in being like the most effective they can in organizations, in teams, in their roles and leadership, uh, and even in their lives and, and reducing stress in, in all kinds of ways. It's wonderful to have you here. And I'd like to, to tap into the topic that we invited you here to talk about. Are you ready to switch gears a little bit? Great. So when Willow and I met and she uh, introduced herself, she chose to ask me what I did um, for a living, and it was a funny thing because you actually shared that you hadn't asked anybody that day. <laughs> and when I told uh, Willow about um, our work at Wealth Legacy Group on um, the emotional impact of wealth in people's lives and working with people on things like, uh, you know, raising really empowered children or uh, couples and dealing with prenups, uh, your face lit up. You just it was like your eyes got really big and you beamed at me and you said, boy, have I been thinking about this conversation for a long time and I have some experience. And then that was one of those things where, well, let's get you on the show. (laughs) So I just knew it was going to be great to talk to you. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about um, this experience you had in terms of your your marriage and meeting somebody who um, was really conflicted about his money and um, I know that you have permission to speak about this, and we've talked about it because we really want to take care of everybody's identity and, and you know, really respect that this is a very personal and, um, you know, very unique journey for each person. And we also know that the willingness to share the story can be so helpful for people that are tuning in, and that's the goal is to bring greater peace into the hearts of our, our viewers and listeners. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to meet someone I just adored, um, I guess now, almost 16 years ago. And um, he asked me out for lunch three times <laughs> within like a half hour, and I didn't get it. I didn't even realize he was asking me out on a date. <laughs> it took him, we, we joked about that the whole time, but <clears throat> I was um, really engaged in what I was doing, which was we'd finished a yoga class, and um, he was asking me out to this 
space. And at the time, I was really into raw foods. <laughs> I had this little lunch I'd prepared, and I just couldn't even hear him. I'm really glad he persisted. <laughs> we ended up spending the whole day together, and I had no idea that, you know, six or ten months down the road that he would reveal that he was, had this um, very wealthy background and family, and nor did I care. It wasn't what I was attracted to or interested in. And we had a great adventure for several months. Um, I want to say it was at least six months. Just kind of getting to know each other and starting to date and, you know, just being engaged in the normal kind of relational way. And it wasn't until, um, I don't know, I think that something came up for him and he decided it was time to tell me something. And I think he sort of mentioned that his parents had tennis courts that they didn't even use in kind of an accusatory tone. <laughs> and I just was kind of bemused by it and um, asked him a little more to explain what he meant. And he said, well, they're building a new house and it's this big and, it, you know, these are the features of this place. And, um, and he's sort of drawing a picture for me without saying anything else. Yeah. And I just said, that's great. I'm happy for them and sort of let it go. But it was my first inclination that he was um, misrep misrepresenting to himself his, his own um, connection to wealth. Because how he presented was on a, a really beat up old bike with hair down to his, you know, mid back, um, super like goodwill clothes. <laughs> like, you know, he just would. Like, I, I, I don't think I responded to him in his asking me out because I didn't recognize him as a potential partner. I mean, I didn't respond to him as somebody who presented himself to me as a potential partner. Boy, I, um, could just Im I can imagine for somebody that um, is conflicted about his wealth or maybe has had multiple experiences of people um, mm -hmm. identifying him so strongly with his wealth that he wanted to be seen for himself that he kind of... I could see where somebody would go yeah. to the opposite extreme. It's like, okay, will you accept me and, and want to know me if I look like this? Yeah. Uh, where there's no inclination about it, and then how are you going to treat me after you find out? I bet that was pretty significant for him to open up that conversation. Cause, it was, and that's yeah. exactly what he was up to. And I think it, he had had some – he had had people in the past at school. He was still really young when I met him. He was 23. And had had some experiences of being – pushed away or rejected or, and feelings of abandonment coming up, having um, just had minor, like, uh, visits from his parents and having them take him out clothes shopping or something and having his friends all kind of back off. And so he, he absolutely was clear about the social experimenting that he was doing and he was conscientious about the way in which he was presenting himself and trying to stay connected. He also was really yearning to feel the grit of, an urban atmosphere and to really be engaged in sort of what he considered the darker, grittier parts of life and a more earthy existence. Yeah. And I think it was his way of, of engaging in that socially and materially and where, where he chose to live, where it was like in the worst parts of Austin and, you know, and he loved it. He really enjoyed his experience of doing that. Um, well, I can imagine that it really expanded out for him, his identity. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm much more than my money. And, mm -hmm. you know, once you, it really helps to build resilience, too. Like when you find that, oh, I can, I can make it, you know, on very little or on my own two feet. And it's, a, it's something that a lot of people uh, want their kids to have the experience of but don't know how to do that when there is such a, a significant amount of affluence behind them. So, wow, that's great he did that for himself and that he enjoyed it because, but at the same time, there was a strong disconnect. Like that, there's a whole aspect of who he is and himself yeah. that he didn't uh, didn't get to engage with fully. Well, he didn't really reveal it, and and yeah, he didn't. He was um, I'm not sure how conscious or unconscious it was for him at that point. I'm gonna I'm gonna venture to guess it was like at least 50% unconscious on his part to sort of um, divorce himself of his background, even as it was really conscious, his social experimentation and his sort of presentation was very conscious. We really just sort of risked it, like the, the topic. It wasn't a huge central part of our conversation for quite a while. And neither, I, I really didn't, I wasn't interested in it, so we, I didn't pursue it with him. It wasn't until 
we were together before we were married for six years, and it wasn't until about four years in that um, that, I, that at one time his parents called and said, hey, are you guys, you know, going out to dinner very often? And I said, oh, no, you know, it's just more cost-effective for me to cook in, and I was sort of a health food fanatic, and I, I like, preferred to cook my own food and was kind of being, like, you know, macrobiotic about it and all. And they said, well, we go out to dinner all the time, and, you know, you really can afford to do that, so why don't you? And it opened up, and it was sort of like, oh, huh, like it had never occurred to me <laughs> that that was an option, that we might want to do that. And we didn't end up doing that at that point, but we, I remember us like going out a little more, like maybe it was once a month, which now to me is really funny how little that was relative to how much I eat now, out now. But I remember it being like the first seed, like they started actually intervening and planting seeds and invitations of, hey, it's okay to expand hey, it's really okay to expand. And then we would visit and I would get a sense of the way that they lived and how comfortable and happy they were and how much abundance there was for them and how unconditionally giving they were of that abundance to him. Now, when you, that's a really interesting point because I hear that from their perspective and what you saw, they were unconditionally supportive of him and sharing their abundance. Mm-hmm. What was his, and we talked about the body earlier, do you mm-hmm. recall, and I know this was a while ago, but do you recall what, what would happen in his body as he anticipated going over there? Or, mm-hmm. you know, was he at ease in himself and his own skin, or was there a sense of, like, um, you know, kind of a defended posture right away? Because like, I know that a lot of people that have this conflicted feeling within themselves, they, they don't allow themselves that ease that you could could tap into as easily. I, I didn't. Just curious, yeah. like what happened, what you saw. Several, it was several layers. And so the, fir- the first piece was um, feeling shy and feeling concerned, like he would feel shy and concerned that I was going to abandon him or reject him for being wealthy. He had shame about it, and he would talk about that. Like that was a really pivotal conversation we had in the first couple years of being connected. He was really afraid that if I found that out, that I would leave him. And... I, it just, I didn't care. <laughs> like, I probably was one of the few people on the planet who didn't care. I really didn't care. It just was, I loved him, and that was just over there, and it was theirs, and it had nothing to do with me, and I didn't have a gen, an agenda about marrying him, so I didn't have, you know, I just didn't have that as a forefront uh, leading um, mm-hmm. experience at all. And so watching him was really like, I felt objective about it, because I was so curious about who's this guy that he, like, he's, he's so sweet and brilliant and so engaging and so fun and so um, creative, and he has this huge thing he's sort of pushing away that actually would probably really nurture him if he allowed it. And yeah. so the other part of his experience was allowing himself to be really nurtured when he went home. And he would go and get haircuts and facials and new clothes and just really, like, take in all of that support and I loved that it, I mean, it was it was such an, a contrast to how I experienced yeah. it in our life and yet it was really sweet to me that he would allow that in and that's allow great yeah that way yeah yeah and then would he encounter some shame afterwards that he allowed himself to do that when he went back into his life or was he able to integrate it like how, did was it yeah, a good question um he he it was no he wasn't exactly able to totally integrate it because he would go and sort of lap it up and then come back and kind of stop doing it again you know so it was I think he was titrating his experience and sort of checking it out to see if it was safe you know it was certainly safe because he was going to visit his parents without me for quite a while because we were just not there yet and maybe they weren't there yet (laughs) you know I'm not sure who it was them or Kim or both or all of us I'm not sure but so for a while there he was doing holidays with them and he was just enjoying himself there. And I think, yeah, I don't think he was fully integrated because I think it would have shown up in our lives as, hey, let's go do this or that, or I'd like to take you here or do that. You know, yeah, I think it took a while. It wasn't until we were married, which was quite a bit later, like 2007. We met in um, 1998 um, that... Suddenly there was there was this like open 
um, invitation, primary, primarily from the family. They were like, all right, you're married. Now can you get over it? It was sort of like, okay, can we move forward? Because <laughs> they were really ready to enjoy uh, that lifestyle with us and go do fun things. And so I think they started to invite us on little trips, and we would go like to Vegas for a dinner and a show or do something fun. And that began to um, allow him to open to that much more. And it, it just sort of, it was like homeopathic droplets. And I think to their credit, they were really brilliant about doing that because they were clearly acculturating me, giving me social permission to experience certain ways of living that they already enjoyed, allowing him to do that in a safe context. It was pretty structured. Yeah. Not for a while. I like how you said that, the safety context, because that makes a big difference. Because I know I've worked with a lot of in-laws and um, people that are, you know, uh, not treated in such a respectful and honoring way. And, you know, where the, the prenup and how it's handled beforehand is experienced is extraordinarily disrespectful and um, not really, you know, getting them to uh, to to feel engaged and part of it. So, um, and, you know, and when um, when an in-law comes into a family system, they are able to, um, uh, they can hit up against what we call electric fences. You know, like how you have those invisible fences that a dog, you know, has a collar and then they hit up against it and they get the shock. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in families that have a lot of um, power differentials, or there's a there's a lot that the parents wield or hold in terms of when and how you can have the money and how you're supposed to relate. There's um, there's this way in which when an in-law comes into the situation, they don't know about those fences, and those fences just show up for them and uh, by a misstep, by something they say or they do or they hit up against. And it's like, ouch, it's a real, like, oh, that wasn't okay. And oftentimes their spouse or their their partner will like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that, and they'll go into reaction because what's transparent and invisible for the family in terms of what you do, what you don't do, is completely, there's a total lack of awareness on the in-laws part. And they'll, (laughs) many times, one of the things that causes a lot of problems is this uh, sense of, um, uh, Running into it again and again and again, and not learning that that's a that's a painful place. So, yeah, um, one of the things that we can we can really support people in in terms of how they go about uh, their integration into a family system when there's an in-law, so that they're not treated as an outlaw, is a lot of what Willow was speaking into, which is the sense of. Um, uh, how to honor the relationship, how to make sure that that person feels like uh, who they are and how they see the world matters and what their values are matter. And then there's also, uh, hey, let's introduce you to our world in a way where you're not necessarily a threat and where we can help you feel comfortable. So, you know, when you said safe environment, I want to just make it so that somebody has a sense of what that looks like. So when you go to a dinner at your in-laws and you've never had a dinner that's like four courses and like all the silverware and the check, you know, there's ways in which you can be treated in a really honoring, loving way in terms of, oh my gosh, can't wait to share with you, like, you know, just some things that that we really enjoy in terms of how we eat together. And we want to incorporate you and make you feel as comfortable as we can, as opposed to that kind of looking down at your noses, like, you know, I'm just thinking about like the Downton Abbey approach that people watch and like the the ant that's constantly looking down at people that are less than. And and I think that on both sides, people can encounter that. So somebody in your husband's position can often feel a a sense of protectiveness of their um, spouse and the sense of being torn between wanting to do what's right for them, for their their coupleship, and then also, well, how do I integrate them? So Mm -hmm. thanks for highlighting that and how they they were able to create that space. That's really fantastic. Yeah. I love that you just pointed to that because you're right. There was there were those elements, and actually, fascinatingly, he didn't feel protective of me. He rather put him put me in front of him to protect him because of oh. the <laughs> And we ended up in couples counseling and having the counselor point that out. And my feeling like, oh, thank God, <laughs> I thought it was just some weird thing that was happening, and I didn't know what it was, but it was 
safer for him to put me there to sort of do all the battles. And I didn't know why I was there and what the battles were. <laughs> and so it was just this really confusing experience. That said, they were incredibly inclusive and sweet to me and um, just utterly gracious, really very gracious, like all along the way. Um, my mother-in-law and I had a really difficult um, time getting along. She was really upset that I wasn't Jewish and really, like, offended. <laughs> In fact, this is a funny story. The, the, so despite the fact that that was the case, she was incredibly kind and loving and wonderful with me. And we, we now have a very healthy, sweet, incredible relationship. But it, it took so much work on both of our parts to accept the differences and just sort of get in there and, and love each other and really take the time to build a relationship. And to her credit, she really invested in it. And so did I. And, and we came out with a good result. But there were years where it was like, oh, no, this is difficult. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because um, I have that in my background where my, um, my parents met um, when my dad was a surgery resident at Yale and my mother was the head of the uh, recovery room after surgery and she was a nurse there and they just totally hit it off and had a great relationship and she was Protestant, red hair, you know, Irish uh, background and my father, you know, came from an immigrant Jewish family and it was really confusing to him because there, it wasn't like his family was overtly like orthodoxly religious. It was very much cultural and almost like a race and it was like came out of the blue for him like wait you love her but you don't love the fact that she's not jewish like it, it was very confusing and uh my mother made the choice to convert in order to keep the peace mm-hmm. um, and it was a major struggle for them as well in terms of wow how to be able to move with respect of our differences when we want things to be different than what they are and I'm wondering if we could speak a little bit about your integral background, because this is a great way to introduce a little bit about that and how that tool can be so helpful for people, you know, especially when you're integrating in-laws um, in the mix and people come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. Um, so yeah. would you like to speak a little bit about that? or is that? Yeah, thanks for that opening. That's a really, that's a good place to play. And um I think the simplest way to convey that without going on a big garden tour of the integral framework is to understand that people with people are operated by their mindsets until they're not. So our perception of the world is is in, incredibly intimate. It's it's deeply embedded, and those perceptions are informed by our cultural background, as we all know. I and mean, we all know this. I'm just sort of reiterating this our subjective direct experience, and the behaviors, the actions we choose come from that mindset. And they live in the systems in which we engage, right? So if you're in a a Jewish family system and there are certain norms and certain behaviors are just expected, and you have a person who enters the system who doesn't know the norms, doesn't know the rules, and has no idea what the expectations are, there's a huge setup for failure there. Or there's the beautiful Judaic generosity that teaches people. There's an incredible generosity in, well, I'll just speak to my experience in that family system, which was to educate me about, well, here's how we do it, and here's what it looks like, and here's what, you know, all of the, the sacred, you know, the, the holidays were like, and all of the, um, I'm forgetting all the words. I'm, like, going brain dead on all the words. But, <laughs> um it was an incredible um, cultural education, and they were very clear that they were offering me that, and I was happy to receive it. it was well, really- what I want to bring forward with this is that, you know, it's obvious when it has to do with religion, right, that there's very different ways of approaching it. And I think what people miss a lot of times is, especially from an integral perspective, that whenever we meet somebody new, Mm-hmm. They have that. They have their acculturated yeah. way of interacting with the world and seeing the world and being in the world. And depending on where they might be in terms of their personal perspective, mm-hmm. there may be ways that they can integrate, they can allow for differences to be okay, they can really um, allow for some blending. And then there's other ways where people can be quite reactive, rigid. It's mm-hmm. you know kind of like um, they're threatened by a difference. And yeah. understanding and meeting somebody right where they are and really allowing that space for 
let me be really interested, curious, let me get in there and find out what this is like from your perspective can be so helpful to then begin to, like you said, like how they kind of did it in the homeopathic little remedies, like, okay, this is where you are, great, not going to make you wrong for it, and maybe you, would you be interested in, can I invite you to look at this from this place, and not saying or having an agenda that you should, like we often say, you know, don't should on yourself, mm-hmm. and what can happen so often is people can get hit by, oh, they're different than me, I don't like it, or there's something that's not good about that as opposed to, oh, our differences make us in life more rich and full. So. Well, to be frank, there were both reactions to me. People didn't like that I was who I was, and people yep. didn't like that I wasn't interested in converting. People didn't like that um, that I wasn't going to ever be Jewish. Um, and And yet they were still, they were willing to do the work of, working with themselves to the extent that they were willing to sort of make it work. Um, so I'll just be frank about that. It was, yeah. it was tough. I mean, it was really... Um, oh, I think the pressure can be enormous. Yeah, enormous. And yeah. the power of um, an integral perspective was to have the, the sort of spacious agility and the fierce um, sort of curiosity. Yep getting into a healthy relationship and sustaining it and letting it and working with the shadow of it, working with the difficulty and having the difficult conversations and and understanding that mindsets were really different, um, developmental capacities were really different and just and just lifestyles were really different. You know, just sort of we were sort of contemplative practitioners who were vegan or vegetarian. We were you know, we were just quintessential Northern California hippie young, hippie yuppies, right, (laughs) and sort of bobo, and and they were quintessential Midwestern, um, owning class, Jewish um, power, like community leaders, powerful people in their communities. And and again, this is just so interesting to come back to the bridging conversation where he was both and. Yeah, absolutely. And, And yet... And yet there was a way in which at that time in his life when you were with him and you guys were courting and got married, is there was a, there was a distinct difference, who I am here versus who I am there. And yeah. I think one of the things we're really, uh, we look at is, you know, what happens and what's our ability to move gracefully and with dignity in life, um, integrating all the parts of who we are. And I was wondering what you saw that really allowed him to, um, embrace more of who he was uh, as opposed yeah. to having to be so conflicted around it? Because I know you shared that, that you got to see that. So. It started with trust. I mean, it started with, so if we're talking about the process of integration, mm-hmm. the conditions that created that process were embedded in the trust in our relationship. And I want to speak to three ways of, of being that bring greater trust to our relationship. Mm-hmm. And there are three points to that, which is patience, like uh, patience with a capital P. <laughs> All capital letters, yeah. <laughs> like when you're when you're with a small child, let's just think of it that way, and and they need to go through what they're going through. Sometimes the only option is just to bear witness compassionately while providing a respectful structure. It was not unlike that, and I mean that with total respect and compassion. But there was a lot of work to do. And it took immense patience for both of us to incorporate each other. Um, so trusting each other and having really honest communication in with respect to our differences was key to integrating. Um, and being able, my interest in in his development and my commitment to our collective development was was really a high priority for me. So. While there was trust, there was also profound commitment and interest in it. Um, there was also like this really natural practice, therefore, of inquiring really gently. Hey, how's it going? How are you? How are you doing with this? Would you like? And I actually eventually became the voice advocating for his expansion because I began to see their perspective because I I wasn't in his experience and I could see that he might enjoy his life more if he were to just relax about it. 
and I could see everyone else around us was fine and totally relaxed about it. And I think yeah. that would be at a hard time seeing. But patience and trust and gentle inquiry were the the elements of that. That's great. And I want yeah. I want to I want to highlight something about that gentle inquiry because you're pointing to it, and I I want to make it a little bit more overt, which is when a question is asked of somebody, oftentimes the body will immediately go into defensive mode, like I have to have the right answer. I have, and that gentleness that you're talking about is not having an agenda about what the answer needs to be or look like, and what it should look like. And so many times. Um, we, especially in family situations, there's a sense of if somebody inquires, they already have a sense of what you should be doing or what it should look like or how. And so we, we will get, and so that trust that you're speaking about is, tan, is really so mm -hmm. vital to know that, oh, you really do just have my best interest at heart and you really want to know from my perspective and you're mm -hmm. not going to try and impose your perspective onto me. Because I think that that's what will create a lot of reactivity. And uh, we recommend, like, with a gentle inquiry, things that simply, um, you know, one, I wonder what it's like. Like, using words that open up possibilities, like, how do you see it? Like, not inviting a thinking, you know, uh, uh, like having to come up with an answer, but more like, what do you see? What do you envision? How are you seeing this different? Like, using visioning ways of approaching it can make such a difference, too. And um, I, I like giving people tangible ways of, like, what a great concept, gentle inquiry, but how do you actually do it? And it just it was asking, it was pillow talk, you know, like in those really safe, intimate spaces, asking open-ended questions and then listening. Yeah. And you're right, not having an agenda, just letting it be what it was. And years of that. <laughs> And I, and through the listening, the best the best thing that somebody who's patiently, lovingly wanting to listen and do that, you know, just asking the question or the the phrase, "Wow, mm -hmm. tell me more," like just yeah. opening up that space and not not needing to put your interpretation on what's being said, but more, yeah. Oh, okay. what's let me understand more about what that's like from over there from your perspective. Yeah, active listening. Yeah. I also, but I'm, I have a sort of a, um, a caveat to this, which is that I don't want to portray myself as some perfect active listener for years. Like, there also were opportunities that I absolutely snapped up for developmental tugging and expansion. Like, hey, let's go do this wildly expensive, awesome, fun, frivolous thing, you know? <laughs> so there was listening and inquiry and integration and respect and compassion that was all there and very true. There are also times where, where it was not necessarily the wrong thing to push and pull and stretch and open the envelope of um, tolerance for acclimating to another level of affluence. Like, let's go buy that place or let's go vacation here instead. Let's upgrade, you know, when we do this. And eventually, it, you know, there was just enough of that that he started to say, yeah, why not? Which was exactly what I was waiting to hear. Because the whole uh, the whole rest of the world was in, yeah, why not? You know? <laughs> and it yeah, didn't so show up. Those it, lovely it, those lovely invitations. Like really yeah, like Oh yeah. Yeah. And um what what I recommend for couples that are in that position is when somebody does that and there's a reaction. You know, hell no or you know <laughs> you know what then it's that's where you really want to drop into the deep listening and the, the curiosity and that inquiry because there's something there. Like, um, I know some people have a fear of it's never going to be enough or, um, you know, For it's going to become more about the money, you know, that sort of thing. Sorry. No. I think for him it was um, fear of being found out. And therefore, uh, like a profound, it was a, a, like a life-threatening safety issue for him. Mm -hmm. The fear was, if people find out, I won't be physically safe. Yeah. Which was yeah. pretty threatening. So but, the idea yeah. of opening to that was like, for him, really scary for quite a while. I'm glad you said that because in our work with inheritors and um, Jamie, my co-host and my business partner at Wealth Legacy Group, uh, really strongly emphasizes this. I know if she were here, she would just be all over this in terms of um, it's somebody in his position, it's very much like 
um, what somebody who is gay has to go through when they come out and the overwhelming fear that can happen with that because it's a real, it's such a taboo. There's so many cultural aspects to it. Um, how am I going to be perceived and what are the interpretations that are going to be placed on me the moment that somebody knows that um, I'm more than what they're seeing? I'm more than what we see. I, I'm, I'm more multifaceted than they could have imagined. And I think it goes to that other piece that's so vitally important, which is being really comfortable in your own skin. And it kind of comes back around full circle to what we were talking about. And the more we can just be really at rest and at peace in our bodies in the moment with who we are and feel safe and know that we're going to be okay, then we're not so much at the sway of what other people, other things say or do around us. Yeah. Yeah. I want to leave people with the three secrets to facilitating your partner's willingness to um, embody their own wealth. Too. Oh, please do. Yeah, we have about 10 minutes left, so that would be wonderful yeah. to jump into that. Thank you. Sure. I'd love to do like a like a recap, like a bulleted recap so that people can leave with, here are the main points. Is that yeah. okay? Please, yes. Okay. So we talked about the three ways of, um, of being to bring greater trust into the relationship. And the recap was being patient being trusting, like actually trusting their unfolding and inquiring gently. And I'm going to add the fourth way, which is um, being frivolous on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Those invitations, those frivolous invitations to expand that out. Yeah, when somebody has that capacity but they're not accessing it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And then, so three secrets to facilitating your partner's willingness to to embody their own wealth was active listening, cultivating gratitude for where they are in their process and being really aware of the growth they've already done and accepting reality as it is. Like you may be walking a long path together, so just be okay with where you are. Um, the secret yeah, that's, to, that's that, don't, don't shit on yourself for them. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah. a really key component is, okay, this is okay where we are. Look at where we are from where we've been. So great. I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah. And then the last part of the recap is the secrets to adjusting your own mindset when you marry into wealth, which is a huge acclimation process, right? Um, Graciousness. Keyword, graciousness. Um, Don't criticize, observe. And And really be quiet and be receptive, learn. And then the last point is just to ask respectful questions. So if it's culturally allowable, Ask about how they might enjoy their wealth or how, when they're, where, like, were they allowed, were my husband to allow himself to enjoy it the way that he'd really want it, what would that look like? A vision question. Yeah. So graciousness, observation, receptivity and learning, and then vision questions. All right. So these are great. I want to make sure that we dive a little bit deeper into graciousness because you really mm-hmm. emphasize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a quality of being. And I would like for you to, um, if you were going to give somebody some coaching on how to be gracious from an authentic place, what would you say is really essential? It is a really different, yeah, I love the distinction between authentic graciousness and inauthentic. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be really honest. There are times when you have to fake it till you make it. There are times when, there were times when I was at ethical odds or um, my values were absolutely challenged. And I'll tell a funny story about this a lot. I had literally just taken the Buddhist precepts. I was an avid meditator. I was meditating two hours a day. Um, the, the precepts included not drinking. The way that my sister, my sister-in-law to be wanted to bond with me was to get drunk. Um, I had never had, like, I wasn't a drinker and I wasn't even interested in drinking and I had just then taken like a huge vow to not do that. <laughs> and we were, um, we met them out. She had left me at the bar and she ordered me a shot. And I remember this tension, like intense tension rising. I was like, what am I going to do? I just took a vow. And of course I want to connect with her. And I have no interest in doing it in this way. And the shot glass exploded. It just exploded, right? We all saw it. It was the weirdest. And the weirdest thing is it didn't feel weird. It felt like a total relief because I was saved by the explosion of my shock, only mine, and sitting on the bar untouched. And 
and it was one of the, and it, now in retrospect, I can really see that it, that it was just reflective of my own distinct discomfort. And the way I was gracious about it was just saying, oops, I like, guess I can't drink it now. <laughs> but like, there was, there were, there is a fake it till you make it. That's the answer to that. And that, and that becomes authentic because over time, as you grow and acclimate and acculturate, there's, there's a, a much deeper and very, very visceral acceptance of where people are and who they are and how they are. And then it's not fake. You just, I really adore those people and love them. And um, I should be overt and, and explicit in saying I'm no longer married to that man. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience. I'm really grateful. I'm, you know, I love them. And yeah. it's hard work for us yeah. to yeah. get to that place. <laughs> wow. And, and we all had to fake it till we made, made it. And, you know, I know that that was a challenge for them too sometimes. Yes, that's really, really well said, and thank you, and thank you for being so willing to share some of your story with our viewers and listeners so that, you know, they might get some of this wisdom. There's so much here, and um, we'll be posting your uh, words of wisdom so that people can have that and have access to it as well in the written form, and, you know, it's interesting. I was on a flight coming back from um, New York last night, and they had a film on that I hadn't seen, and it was called... um, uh, I think it was like Hyde Park on the Hudson. It's about when the um, uh, Queen Elizabeth and um, is it King George? They came over um, and met with FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt at their uh, home on the Hudson River. And that is a really great uh, way of seeing what exactly you were talking about. They had to fake it. In so many ways, um, Elizabeth was super offended by how they were being treated, and there was this whole thing about whether or not to eat hot dogs at a picnic that they were being offered. And the king is the epitome of graciousness. Like the dinner, there were all these mishaps that happened, and he just used humor, and um, he uh, allowed the people to feel at ease. And Roosevelt even said to him, wow, your father would have been really proud like at how gracious he was at the dinner. And then when eating the hot dog at the picnic ended up being extraordinarily symbolic and very powerful. And it's, it makes me think so much about the shot class, right? Where, yeah. you know, maybe protocol and, you know, how this is going to be, what are they saying? And is this disrespectful? And his yeah. choice to just embrace the, um, the moment and where he was and, you know, not going into the interpretation <laughs> as much as, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal. Maybe there's a way to just be in the moment with what's right here right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it ended up, there, there's a whole idea that it became quite a symbolic way of the two countries coming back together in a very meaningful friendship by being willing to do that. And you just made me see that scene in a whole new light because that's what we do in families. That's what we do with in-laws. That's what we do in relationship with the, somebody we're getting to know. Is where am I willing to meet them where they are and where where do I need to stand true to my own values and what matters to me and that's a powerful story thank you (laughs) so this is an incredible interview with Willow uh, Dea and Willow you are now uh, working with a group what name the group that you're working with that company is being first being first and uh, she works with people on um, transformational leadership and organizational uh, I don't team peak performance and uh, so many other things. And you also have uh, wonderful tools and resources for people dealing with stress and anxiety, no matter what's going on in the world around them and in their lives. And uh, the best way to reach you, Willow, is is what? I want to make sure people know how to reach you. Um, Thank you. Willowdea at gmail.com is probably the simplest way right now in terms of the transition. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now, right at this time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you if you'd like more information about uh, this show, Wealth Psychology, other if you have ideas of other guests you'd like us to have on the show, we welcome your input. You can email us uh, at info at wealthlegacygroup.net. And you can like Wealth Legacy Group on Facebook. You can also like Sylvia Global, which is a great way to find out about this show and many other shows like it. And we are so grateful for your time, your presence. uh, And we really want to wish everybody who's tuning in, no matter what's going on in your world, 
a little bit more peace in your hearts and uh, just taking a moment and breathing into your hearts and knowing that there's a lot more good in the world than any amount of evil or bad that there can be. And just keep tapping into that in your own lives and in your own hearts for yourself, for your family. Thanks, Emily, for an incredible opportunity to be here with you. Thanks, Willow. It's great to have you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.